2: Well, 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 folks, what do we have this early Friday morning? The Yankees lose a close game, just like I thought they would, and behold the excuses about the roof being open. All right, I'm just going to say this. The Yankees, if this is what they're going to focus on after a loss, they are completely looking at this series the wrong way. I'm just going to say it. Because you could say... Oh, if Judge's ball went out, they would have been up four three, and they would have won the game. I, I'm I'm sorry. That is not the way you should be looking at the actual game. The game was lost because your at bats were not nearly as the same caliber quality as the Astros at bats. Both teams played in adverse conditions with the wind, and you could say Bregman's home run should have gone out against Severino. He still hit the ball pretty good. That still probably would have been a double if the wind didn't impact it. Like, the the fact that we keep getting into this argument of why the Yankees can't close on the Astros belies the actual reality of the situation. The Astros, as constructed, and it's a whole model of which the Astros operate, is a better model than the Yankees are operating under. They do it more efficiently than the Yankees do. They spend less money than the Yankees do. They have more well rounded players than the Yankees do. And until you can at least accept that fact, and the Yankees or brass does not want to accept it, they keep coming up with different excuses as to why they uh, are coming up short against the Astros. And yes, the Yankees still have two games in the Bronx. But anyone who's looking at this series is looking at the reality that the Yankees have to win four games. Out of five against the Astros, nobody's giving the Yankees a shot at doing four wins in five games. Nobody. Now, except for the most strident Yankee supporters and the people who work for Yes Network. That, that That's it. Because you can look at these games and you can say, well, they've been close enough that they've got a sh- chance in the Bronx. And I can look at this and then say, yeah, the Astros also have a chance of hitting the ball out in the, in the Yankee Stadium. It's not like there's slouches on offense either. And the ball's not going to carry as well as it did earlier in the year. And again, the Yankees were a sub-500 team in the second half of the year. You could you can cite the numbers that Matt Carpenter had before he got hurt with a foot injury. He was on the shelf for months. And he's in crucial spots in the lineup order. Josh Donaldson's been bad all year. You were better off with Gio Urshela. There are so many different ways you can break this down, but it's a very simple equation. The Yankees are carried by Aaron Judge. He was carry, He was carrying this team the entire year. Teams that were smart enough started pitching around Aaron Judge, and the flaws of this squad were exposed. It's continued throughout the uh, season, and in the postseason, honestly, if... Cleveland was a little bit smarter about how they approached uh, a couple of at-bats, especially the judge at-bats. They are probably the ones down 0-2 against the Astros. That's the reality of the situation. The Yankees have flaws, very glaring flaws. The Astros are exposing them. So we can come up with different excuses as to why the Astros are up 2-0 in the series. But if we were citing the roof being open as one of them, no, 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 no. Jorge Soler crushed the ball against the Astros uh, as the Braves won their World Series. Like, I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear the excuses. Both teams played in the exact same conditions. It, like, come on. It, it, it's it's sad. It's absolutely sad. And as a Yankees fan, it, you know, it, to me, it's kind of embarrassing when we go down this route. It is embarrassing going down this route. So, what I would say is basically you get you get the, the travel day to like recollect and get ready for uh, the series to shift to the Bronx and just refocus because the idea that you are close to this series belies the fact that realistically this series has played out pretty much how the Astros wanted it to. You're, you're playing on the terms the Astros are dictating. That is not a winning formula for the Yankees. There is no way the Yankees are going to win this series with four hits. It, it's, it's not going to work. I'm just telling you guys right now. It's not going to work with the Yankees averaging uh, as low a batting average as they have for this series thus far. Because four and five hits are not going to cut it against the Astros the the way the yankees are going to have to do this cuz the astros are not going to give them nearly the same uh, clip of long balls that they've uh, been able to accomplish it's just not going to work it's not going to work so they get they get they got to figure it out they have got to figure it out and you know the problem is i don't i don't see it <laughs> i don't see it working out it's like it, you, you don't have LeMahieu. And true to form, the most effective guy that I thought from an at-bat standpoint was Harrison Bader. Because he's had the least amount of time with the Yankees uh, coaching staff hitting-wise. He's had the least. And I keep saying this. People don't like to hear it. The more time you spend with the Yankees uh, coaching staff and how they want you to hit, the worse off you become in terms of production come postseason. Because the way the Yankees are trying to instruct their hitters to approach at-bats is less conducive to winning in the postseason. It works for the model in the regular season. This is not conducive in the postseason. As good as Aaron Judge has had to see like, the way the postseason pitches approaches are going to apply to him, they're going to force him to walk or fly out. And now Judge is pressing because he knows he actually has to do something with these pitches. Like, getting on base isn't nearly enough at this point. He's got to try to do something, and he's trying to expand his own, and it's not going to work out for him against this Astros uh, pitching staff. He needs mistake pitches, and he's not going to get mistake pitches. That, that's the problem. That's the problem Aaron Judge is going to uh, is going to be facing. And, of course, you know, Hal Steinbrenner is going to be there, and the Yankee Yankees brass is going to cite that uh, Judge is batting un, under 200 in the postseason, and so that's a reason why uh, he doesn't deserve as large of a contract, which is bullshit. It, 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 it's, it's a, it is absolute BS. But that's the situation. Like, the Yankees have painted, painted themselves into a corner. And I don't see a way for them to get out of it. Realistically, I don't see the Yankees stringing together eight, nine hits in a game. But that's what they're going to need to do in order to beat the Astros four out of five. They're going to have to have games where they get on base and get hitting. And I, I I just don't see it happening. I really don't see it happening. All right, so we got the Yankees out of the way. We have the Phillies and the Padres. This is, again, this, this series is shifting to Philly now. And <laughs> as loud as Philly was against the Braves, it's going to be even crazier when the Padres come in. And here, this this is the actual toss-up series because the Dodgers' excuse is the hottest team is 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 winning the World Series, okay? Because last time I checked, Philly's lineup has Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, Nick Castellanos. Oh yeah, and Reese Hopkins. I I, I, I don't I don't think those guys are any slouches when it comes to actually being productive hitters. And on the Padres side, you got Juan Soto. You got Manny Machado. Like there there there's a lot of big talent in, in those uh, in those lineups. Brandon Drew is the hottest hitter for the Padres of the second half of the year. So, you know, the whining from the Dodgers about the hottest team is is one of the biggest crocs of, you know what that I that I heard. As to why they lost most teams that make the postseason actually have good rosters that that that's the truth of the matter like and part of it is like the reason why some of these rosters are so stacked is because over a third of the baseball teams aren't even trying anymore to field competitive rosters so it's all the, all the talents matriculating uh to these clubs so that by the time you get to the postseason and and even with the expanded wild card you're having squads that are loaded because a third of your league isn't actually trying hard to compete. That's what's causing some of the upsets that we're seeing. You, you got loaded rosters by the time uh, you're go- you're going into the postseason. So yeah, uh, you know, who 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 knew? But in terms of this matchup, I mean, I look at it as a case of. You can hit in Philly regardless. It really just depends on if uh, with the weather in Philly and just based off of what I'm seeing in the uh, early reports, I mean, it's going to be in the mid-50s, no real significant wind. Typically, again, it's October, the weather's cooled off, it's a little bit harder to travel in that stadium, but it ain't impossible. Really just kind of comes down to uh, the pitching matchups. Ranger Suarez, I think he can match up pretty well against Musgrove. Realistically, the over-under is at seven and a half. Kind of depends on uh, how how much of a a groove the pitchers get into early. Because if they get into a groove early, uh, we're going to hit that under pretty comfortably in my opinion. But it just depends on the first three innings. If both pitchers get through the first three innings without giving up much, uh, you know, I just see this going under like that. uh, That that line at seven and a half runs, I I think is uh, a bit high. But I get why. (laughs) You know, these guys could put up a five spot in a blink if uh, if they get runners on base and with the power they have in both lineups, yeah, they can do damage. If the, if uh, pitchers are having to pitch out of the stretch, in, in a tight spot, it can absolutely happen. It's not it's not a it's not a shocker. Uh, the Padres being a slight favorite uh, is a little is a little bit surprising, but it's it's more of a pick 'em. Uh, you know they're not saying uh, the home field's favoring uh, one team over another. It's a minus one ten. You know that that's essentially a pick 'em. Uh, you know obviously you got the vig. But uh, that's essentially a pick'em in terms of uh, the probability. I think I do think it is a, a coin flip, but I probably would have put it more in, in line with the Phillies' side, given that they're home. And it's not like the Phillies got a tremendous spread either. It's like minus 105. Really, you're just paying the VIG. It- it's a money line bet uh, um, on the Phillies. So, you know, again, coin flip on both sides. I don't have a particular lean one way or another, but... You know, you've you've got enough power on both sides. The this series, I in my opinion, kind of comes down to Machado and Soto. If Soto is anywhere close to uh, the form he had when the Nats won the World Series, the Padres have uh, enough firepower to win the World Series. If Soto's on, Soto hasn't been on. Everyone keeps waiting for Soto had, uh, to have this moment where it all clicks hasn't happened yet so we're gonna see uh uh what we're gonna get out of Soto uh this series but um yeah I I I just gotta say that uh this is going to be the more entertaining series in my opinion I just don't see the Yankees uh turning it around I think uh this Phillies Padres series is the one that goes six seven games so uh we shall see and then finally You know, while Andy Dalton was throwing away the game, literally throwing away the game for the Saints last night, two pick sixes in less than a minute 30. And yes, you can blame the first one on the receiver. But guess what? I look at games regularly. Yes, the receiver could have caught the pass. Here's why it was a bad decision by Andy Dalton to throw the pass in the first place. He uh, He threw it high enough where the receiver... Yes, it's it's a catchable ball. The receiver should catch it. But the receiver's not going anywhere. There are four defenders right on top of said receiver. As a veteran QB, you should know and anticipate there's always danger in case a, a guy gets on the receiver enough to hit him. That ball can pop up and you can turn it over. It's less than two minutes to go in the in the first half. Why are you forcing it in a dangerous area? And that was a dangerous area. You are not a uh, rookie. You're not a second-year QB. You're not a third-year QB. You're not even a fourth-year QB. Andy Dalton has been in the league. I I, I, like and uh, and uh, and I want to be clear when I say this: thirteen-year veteran. He's been in the league thirteen years. He started over 150 games. I want to be clear about this because, you know, people think I'm being harsh. But realistically, he's run a two-minute drill his entire career. You know that's a high-risk throw. Bro, this is not, like, come on. And he has this, like, like, and, and you'll see the gif on posted on Twitter because they got the freeze frame of the defender jumping over the pylon the look of Andy Dalton in the background doing this Charlie Brown off all shucks face as the defender scoring the touchdown. It, you'll see the meme posted. But, dude, you put yourself in that spot. That throw was not a good decision. It was not a good decision. And then to compound things, you throw a pick six in the middle of the field after you gave up a pick six. He completely tanked the game. For his teammates. I don't blame the Saints defense. For you know. Basically kind of taking a powder in the second half. Because the Saints defense. While they did play in the second half. They really didn't play with the same amount of effort and energy in the second half. To kind of try to turn that game around. It was. It ended up being a 42-34 loss. The Cardinals were up 28-14 at halftime. Because of the two pick sixes. And if you going into that locker room. When you've played well as a defense, pretty much, and most of the, most of the scores are, are attributable to Dalton, who also threw a red zone interception, by the way, in that game. Like that was like the the second pick six wasn't even his worst throw of the game. The worst throw was actually the red zone interception in the end zone, where there are no less than five Cardinals in the area of where he's trying to throw that ball. Like you you were not gonna fit a touchdown in that. I, I, I can't, I can't with these teams. Because if anything, if the Saints were actually coached by an actual NFL coach and not a career uh, assistant head coach at Dennis Allen, Dalton would have been benched at halftime. He absolutely should have been benched at halftime. Because the throws he made were not great. And yes, you could say that Dalton got hit as he threw. But where he was throwing that ball on the second pick... There were multiple defenders in that area to jump the route. It's just the fact that because he got hit, it just went directly to the defender. But where he was trying to throw that route was a, was another terrible decision that he chose to make. He did not have an open receiver. So, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of excuses being made as like, oh, you know, the receiver should have caught. They're like the throws, yes, they resulted in pick sixes. But the decision that he made of which receivers he chose to throw the ball to, those were poor decisions from a veteran QB. If he can't make the uh, proper choices at this stage, why is he on the roster? Because you already have Taysom Hill, whom I don't think isn't a true NFL starting QB, but Jameis Winston's back is jacked up. You paid Taysom a bunch of money. You paid Andy Dalton money. But if he can't make the proper decisions... As a game manager, he has no role on this roster. That's just the simple fact of the matter. So, you know, am I being harsh? Yeah, you could say I'm being harsh, but it's the truth. It's the honest truth of the matter. Because Andy Dalton single-handedly cost them the game. It's not like, oh, well, you know, it's a team... No, no, no. Andy Dalton straight up cost his team the game. And it's not close. It's not close. This is not one of those where it's like, oh, we we, we could have played better in certain spots. Yeah, everyone can say that. Andy Dalton single-handedly uh, turned that game over to the Cardinals because the Cardinals were not looking that great in the rec- but he, he gave them so much of a swing that it was almost impossible to make that comeback because of the red zone turnover and... And the two pick sixes. I mean, it's just, they were playing catch up the entire second half. Arizona rejiggered the defense. So, everyone can say that. It's like, oh, well, you know, they made a go of it in the second half with the offense, but the defense kind of let down. No. Arizona played more prevent in the second half because they had a two-touchdown lead and they managed to game out. That's what happened. And the Saints defense, realistically... Didn't feel that compelled to, like, put in the same level of effort that they had in the first half. That's the truth of the matter. But Andy Dalton threw that game away. Absolutely threw it away. So, with that being said, the news that everyone's talking about, and I saved it for last because, uh, you know, this is the nature of sometimes when you have to understand fantasy sports, is Christian McCaffrey getting traded by the Carolina Panthers who are in full tank mode. And I talked about this. They're in full tank mode once Matt Rule got fired. The last game that they had, (laughs) I mean, and again, this was pitiful. But, I mean, the Rams were in such control of that game, there was no chance that there weren't going to be significant changes. So, I will say... That McCaffrey getting traded, not a surprise. McCaffrey getting traded to the Niners, not a surprise. Because guess what? The Niners are the team that can most utilize Christian McCaffrey's skill set. They need someone versatile enough to cover up for the liability that they have with Jimmy uh, Jimmy Garoppolo being very ineffective in terms of catch-up scripts. So anytime the Niners get down, and that's what happened against the Falcons, they got down, and it required Jimmy G to throw uh, and run the passing offense, he can't do it. And that's why he lost his job to Trey Lance in the first place. So McCaffrey allows the Niners to maintain the dump and and move uh, offense that is predicated on just having good timing and getting the ball out of your hands quickly. They can have Jimmy G do his best Matt Ryan impression. McCaffrey can get enough yards after catch to keep that offense moving. So even when they get into a trailing script, they'll be able to uh, manage offensive drives. So does this automatically make the Niners a top top team coming out of the NFC? Absolutely not. Because at the end of the day, uh, the NFC is still wide open. This move just ensures that the Niners have enough tools, as long as Jimmy G doesn't F it up, that they're going to be there at the end. And that's the key. The Niners, even with their injuries, are going to be there at the end because of this McCaffrey trade. They, they have to pay McCaffrey, but they don't have to worry about paying McCaffrey. They got Trey Lance on the roster. Jimmy G had a reduced uh, contract anyway. They're not paying for a true QB, number one, so they can afford to pay for Christian McCaffrey within the salary cap structure. This move essentially allows the Niners to be relevant enough when they're taking on the Rams, whom they match up with, well, extremely well with anyway, that they're fine. And then again, against a team like the Packers, and yes, I still think the Packers are going to be there as much as People want to make fun of uh, Aaron Rodgers and the Aoyuska and just being genuinely distracted. I still think the Packers figure it out and get there in the end. The Niners needed to find another way of getting themselves over the hump because just relying on Debo alone wasn't going to cut it. And George Kittle, it looks like the injuries had to have taken their toll on his explosiveness that he he may not be the same guy that he was three years ago. So what does this mean from fantasy aspect? Christian McCaffrey may finally pay off that, uh, that running back two or one ranking, depending on which expert you talk to, he had to start the year. Because of the Niners offensive line and the tools he has around him, he may finally pay off that price tag. We already know that Jonathan Taylor has missed multiple games this year and the Colts' offensive line isn't there. McCaffrey can catch Saquon by the end of the year and be the overall running back one for fantasy purposes. The folks who traded Christian McCaffrey already should be feeling sick to to their stomachs because you sold low and, you know, that's the price of selling low uh, too early in the year. I mean, we're we're in week six. Yes, we're in the middle, uh, coming into the middle of the stretch for the fantasy season. I hate always trading um, my first two-round picks in there, unless there's absolutely no way of fixing it. And I always thought there was a way to fix it in Carolina. It was just a matter of when the Panthers were going to trade McCaffrey because they were taking because of Baker destroying that team. I mean, that, that's that's where re- really where the rubber meets the road. Ba- Baker was the last desperate uh, gasp of uh, the rule era and it backfired spectacularly so if you have jeff wilson on your roster uh you know unless you have a ton of bench spots i would say you can drop him because jeff wilson is not even going to be the backup on that team it's going to be christian mccaffrey and then you're going to see tevin coleman take on a bigger role um because even with uh some of the uh, plays that McCaffrey isn't running, they're probably going to have Tevin Coleman uh, do the pass catching when McCaffrey's not doing it. I don't think there's going to be many carries that doesn't involve Christian McCaffrey. Jeff Wilson basically is not even going to have a third down back row because of Tevin Coleman. Uh, He's just not going to see the field that much. So, again, if you prioritize all your budget on Jeff Wilson, I'm sorry, the the ride has come to an abrupt... Halt and unless you have a ton of roster spot for in, in case of emergency when McCaffrey gets hurt, I don't think you can spare uh, Jeff Wilson on your roster once the bye weeks start hitting and you've got to start making roster decisions on team So um it, it, it is what it is, but uh, as I said, McCaffrey has a very good shot at being uh, running back one when it's all said and done at the end of the season. Jeff Wilson. You can probably cut at this stage, and we shall see how the fantasy season goes, but uh, that's all I got. There will be another episode recorded later today uh, for UFC 280 because we've got a Fight Island card, so it's going to be an early Saturday uh, morning, afternoon, pay-per-view for the UFC, so plenty to talk about, so i got to break down all the fights, but that is coming sooner than later. Uh, right around the corner, but uh, I figure I'd do the recording just to recap uh, the, yesterday's action in the MLB and uh, NFL. More to come, but have a good one, folks. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Throwdown Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcast, and all major outlets.